Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It's another beautiful day here in Mahali, Chandigarh, Punjab, and we are going to be looking through the 12th chapter of the book of John, where we are going to be discussing Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And yes, it sounds like, wait, we just discussed them in chapter 11. I know, isn't it awesome how all of the Bible kind of goes together with each other? And so as we read John chapter 12, keep in mind the things that we've discussed earlier about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Xavier, if you'll go ahead and read for us the word of the Lord. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look through this passage of scripture, we see a few things. Just make note of them as we go through. This is six days before the Passover, which is an important feast within Jewish tradition. Uh, the location, Lazarus's home. People that we're talking about here, Martha, who is serving and preparing. As we've talked about before, that's what she enjoys doing. That's kind of her service. Her way of worship is by serving. So she's serving. Lazarus is just kind of chilling. And uh, Mary, therefore, uh, takes a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anoints Jesus's feet with it. I think this is very important. And, and there's three points that I want to bring out from this reading of the scripture this week. Uh, first is complete trust. Mary, therefore, just decides, hey, Martha's doing that. Lazarus is chilling. I'm going to go get some oil and I'm going to anoint Jesus's feet. This is her decision. Nobody else is like coming up to her going, hey, Mary, Jesus's feet need to be anointed with oil. Nobody's coming up to her saying, hey, Jesus's feet need to be washed. She made this decision of her own accord. The reason that she does it is given later on by Jesus that she did it for his burial. But I do not believe Mary in this moment is thinking that way because Jesus has pronounced many times so far, I am going to die. And everybody's kind of confused. What is he talking about? And in three days, I'm going to be raised from the dead. What is Jesus talking about? So they're confused by this, not anticipating that if Mary goes and anoints his feet with oil, that she's doing it in preparation of his burial. Let's look at what the oil is. This oil of pure nard has been described in the Old Testament for two specific reasons. First thing that they use the oil for is to anoint the head of a priest in order to prepare him for his service as a priest. The second reason they would use this pure nard oil would be for burying the dead. It was extremely valuable, 300 denarii, which a denarii is what a day's wages was. So 300, that means it's almost a year's worth of wages that is um, being broken open and used to wash Jesus's feet. 
Now, let's also notice that it's not Jesus's head that Mary is anointing. The head of being the place of wisdom, the head being the place of anointing, the head being the place where people uh, would think about uh, the importance of everything. No, instead, she goes to the part of his body that is considered, even here in India, the most dirtiest part of our body, right? This is the place of utter disgust. This is the place that only the lowly would would even dare touch. This is not the place that somebody of high repute, somebody of high stature or high position would necessarily touch. Only the person that is greater than them would they touch their feet. And it's the same true in this in this passage of scripture. Also notice that it's not just his feet that get easily dirty, but it's also the fact that sewer systems were not the same. They are also... Uh, the cleanliness of streets is not the same. So much like walking around in a village here in India today, you're walking around with urine and feces on the ground. You're walking around where people may have vomited. You're walking around where things, the streets may not have been even swept that day. And you're walking around and then you come into somebody's house and it's important to have your feet washed because then you're going to be tracking that into the house. Uh, so therefore, people would wash their feet. But Mary goes further than just washing Jesus's feet. She anoints his feet with oil in a act of love and worship. So I have a question for you, and this, this is something that is not always easy for us to answer, but have you ever loved someone, not sexually, not pervertedly, but loved someone genuinely from the depths of your being so much that you would lavish them with a gift that was of enormous value? You weren't doing it because you wanted something in return. There's no motive other than your pure love for that person. You're just gifting them something of tremendous value, something that is of personal value to you, because this might even be something that was for her dowry when she got married. Or if she had gotten married, this might have been the dowry that she received. Have you ever given something like that to someone you loved? We have given a car away. Right. We have given a car We've away. We've given a scooter away. We have given a scooter away. We've given a scooter away. Yeah, yeah. but we got washing that scooter for free. Given, given a washing machine, machine away. Bicycles. Bicycles. And did we do it because we wanted something in return? No. Secondly, have you ever given God your most valuable possession? You're not asking for a reward for a miracle, giving him a reward for a miracle he performed in your life. Like, oh God, I need you to do this. He does it. So then you go and take him a sacrifice. You're not trying to make a deal or a bargain with God, but you're actually saying, okay, I'm giving you my most valuable possession. No deals, no bargains. You don't have wrong motives. There's no extra questions. You're not asking God to do something specific for you. You're just lavishing your love with your most valuable possession and giving it into his hands. Have you ever given God your most valuable possession? Oh, I have are material things. Like I can't give God material things because those are worthless to him. The only thing worth giving to God is my life. Okay. And so, no, I can't answer your question if I give and God something super valuable and precious to me because he doesn't accept material things. But that's not true because he's accepting the offering of pure nard oil, which is a one-time use. But I'm just saying, like, God isn't physical with us right now, so how are you going to give him a physical object? That's a question that many people have. So it's a great question to ask in, the, in regards to what we're discussing right now. Because what do we do with our possessions, the things that we have? Like, 
I have a pumpkin in front of me. And so I reach out and I grab it and I have it. And what if this is like the only thing that I have to eat for the next week? And so therefore this becomes a valuable possession to me. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to give it to somebody else? Because then I would have to not eat this week. So it becomes very valuable to me. So if I give it as an offering instead to God and say, okay, I trust you, God, that I'm going to now um, have food to eat. Uh, this is not an idol to me. Food is not an idol to me. It's not so important to me, but feeding from your word and dedicating my life to you, that's what's most valuable to me. Any possession that we have can be, can be referred to in this way because what we do is we like to idolize or believe that we deserve these things, these possessions that we have. And all the while, God is asking us to give him our everything. And so with Xavier's question earlier of how do you give a possession to God, when we're giving unto other people like the bicycles, the washing machine, the car, isn't that giving unto the Lord? Because when you are helping those that are out around you, that is the same as giving unto the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Is it or is it not? Yeah, because it's, he said when you offer a glass of water to someone, mm -hmm. you are offering to me. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When we gave the bicycles, what were our motives? Were we giving with this incentive of people looking at us? Did we take photos of it? Did we say, no. hey, everybody, look what we did. Did we expect the people that we gifted the bicycles to, you know, use them and no. not resell them or, they you know, could totally resell them and get money off of it. If they, if that helped them in the long run, I go for it. Right. It's, it's there up to their it. doing what they receive as a gift. It's up to them what they want to do with it. Correct. Absolutely. And did we do it because we love them sexually or pervertedly? No. But why do people always take it to that level immediately? Like, oh, that, they're only doing that because they want this in return. Have you noticed that? Like people are always saying, oh, well, he, the man bought the girl dinner so that, and it was an expensive dinner and he gave her this gift of flowers. So therefore she, she should sleep with him later on. That's what the world says. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yet that's not the way life really works. I can love somebody and take them for a nice dinner and gift them a car and that be it. That just be like, I, I love you. I love what you're doing. I want to give something towards it. And I was praying and I feel like this is the right time to do it. And so I'm going to gift this. This is a gift to you with the love of God and you gift it to them. And it is a, in a sense, a sacrifice of your giving to them with no strings attached. Mm -hmm. Right? Correct. And is that also possible to happen? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not unheard of, right? No. no. But yet the world wants us to think that it's unheard of. Right. They want it. The world wants you to think there's strings attached. If someone's doing good for you, then in return, you need you to do something to. good for them. You owe them. Right. And it could be something like they could bring it up against you like 20 years later down the road. Like I, I helped you when you were in your time of need and <laughs> I gave you this amount of money. I gave you a crore of money, of rupees. I yeah, gave you yeah. a crore. And 20 years later, I'm in need of one crore. So you need to pay me back that one crore. And that person may be like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have, it. I don't have that. Right. And so, yeah, that would, but be that's not really a gift at that point anymore no, either. It is becomes it? Their it's interest. Interest. It's a gift sure. of interest. 
a gift with interest. Sure. And yet Mary's not doing that in this moment. When she is going to Jesus's feet to the most dirtiest place in the house, touching the most dirtiest part of his body, she's not doing this expecting him to do something in return. And she's not rewarding him for uh, healing Lazarus and raising him from the dead. She's doing this out of a pure love for Jesus as the son of God, as the creator of heaven and earth. The second thing that I want us to notice is that she uses her hair. I think this is significant for us. Blair, how much time do you spend in a given week on your hair? So it's 30 times seven. 210. 210 divided by 60 is three and a half hours every week you give to your hair. Yeah, I do. Aisha? I don't give too much pride. <laughs> but I know people do. Yeah. In India, yeah. they love their hair. They love I, their I hair. mean, I love my hair, yeah. but I don't do like things, <laughs> special <laughs> things for my hair. Just yeah. Normal. Mallory, how much time do you spend on your hair? A minute. A minute. I don't, all I do is I just put it up in a ponytail and then I'm like, well, I'm going to think about this whenever I take a shower. So whenever I take a shower, then my hair will be done for cool. the next day. Well, what about the time that you get the oil treatments and the coconut oil? And what about all of that? What about right now you have a little bit of pink in your hair? What about that? Doesn't that take time to put in your hair? It's more than a minute, it isn't it? It 30 minutes. It takes 30 minutes. Xavier, you've got a little bit longer hair than the average dude. <laughs> it takes well, um, in the shower it definitely takes me longer to wash it all it takes me like 15 minutes to take a shower as opposed to like a five minute shower and then on top of that brushing it or blow drying it takes a while as well I haven't blow dried in a while but brushing it is takes a while because you have to get it to part right, right and fall right and then not be poofy on one side over the other especially when you blow dry your hair. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so it takes time. I mean, when I was younger, I used to spike my hair and that took a lot more time than it does now with my long hair. That's sure. True. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the Bible actually has a passage of scripture that refers to the hair. I think Aisha, you have that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, mm -hmm. verse 15. Uh, it talks about a woman's long hair. And uh, let's see what that has to say. But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Wonderful. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for that covering. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is, a, it is for a woman. It's for her glory. It is her glory. And so now we have... Let's put these two things together. We have a woman who has a valuable gift that is worth a year's wages. She's breaking it on the dirtiest part of Jesus's body. She is then taking her glory and she is cleaning his feet with what is the most important part of her. She's not giving, she's not just giving all that she has. She's giving all that she is. And she's placing it there at Jesus's feet, symbolism implied or puns implied, laying it all at his feet. I mean, that, that to me is absolutely fascinating because this suggests total submission. Mm -hmm. There's nothing more that she can give him. She's given him the most valuable possession she has, not idolizing it, not holding it back, not hoarding it and storing it and saying, this is mine. Nobody else can have it. 
And then on top of it, she's not saying, you know what, servants, come over here. This man's feet need to be anointed with oil and you do the job. No, she instead gets down on her hands and her knees and she takes her hair and she unloosens it, which how often in India, we've started to see women wearing their hair down more and more over the past couple of years. But there was a time when I first moved to India that it was almost impossible for me to see a woman, especially a married woman with her hair down. Right. They, ne I never saw a woman down. And even the schoolgirls would wear their hair in plaits yeah. so that that way that their hair wasn't seen with this glory and this beauty. And yet Mary is revealing all of her beauty, all of her glory. And she's not giving it to Jesus for some sexual encounter. She's not giving it to Jesus because of any of these perverted reasons, she's giving, gifting to Jesus these things out of worship and adoration and honor and praise unto her Lord and Savior. Giving her all, giving of oneself in an honorable, pure, and wholehearted way. That's what Mary's doing here. She's not trying to shame or manipulate and neither am I. I. I don't want to shame or manipulate anybody, but this is just an honest question. And this is one for us to privately answer, I believe. Have I expressed my love to God, to Jesus, with all I have and with all I am? Have I done that? Have I, as Xavier was talking a little bit earlier, have I given him my all? Have I given him my life? Have I given have I sacrificed everything that I have and everything that I am for him? If I have not, then today may I encourage you to give him all you have and all you are. Believe in him, confess him as your savior and God and reject all idols. I think this is important for us to gain from this passage of scripture. I have a follow-up question. What else can we learn from Mary giving her best gift and her personal glory? I ask it in this way because is this something that she can continue to annually do? Can every year at the same date, the same time, like save the date? Okay, it was uh, this day of November that I went and I gave Jesus this offering. So at the same time next year, I'm going to go give it to him again. So sounds kind of silly, but it's stuff we do, isn't it? Mm -hmm. We we idolize a worship moment and then we try and replicate it again and again and again and again, expecting the same result. Well, I gave everything then and then this whole year has happened. So I've got to go do it again next year. Does Jesus demand of Mary's children and relatives to do the same thing that Mary did. Okay, now everybody in the house, you go get whatever's most valuable possession that you have and you come and you do the same thing to me. Does he make that demand of people? No. No, he doesn't. Does Mary make that demand of her children or her relatives? No. Well, we sure do do that, don't we? We start making demands of people. Well, this is what happens. So there, you, therefore, you better start behaving this way. And if you don't, then you don't really believe like I believe. Mm -hmm. And we start holding people accountable into the same kind of standard that, we, that our faith exhibits. But yet this is a beautiful example to me of one person with the one true God and that one-on-one -on -one relationship of how personal he is with us individually. In other words, somebody can't tell me how I'm supposed to worship. In other words, if there's a song that comes on that a lot of people feel like jumping because it's a worshipful song with a lot of energy and they jump and they jump unto the Lord, that doesn't mean anybody has the right to come over and say, hey, how come you're not jumping? Hmm. We're jumping. You should jump too. 
What if my personal relationship with Jesus in that moment doesn't connotate or make me want to jump? What if in that moment, instead, I feel like crying? Is that acceptable? Yes. Of course it is. But yet we as people, we judge each other in a way that we're like, no, I'm jumping, so you should jump. I'm crying, so you should cry. I'm happy, so you should be happy. I'm sad, so you should be sad. And we put these stipulations in front of people so that that way we can manipulate them in order to get the kind of response that we're feeling in that moment so that that way we don't feel left out or all alone. We put that stipulation on people in the Bible, too. Whenever we're reading God's scripture, I've always heard a lot in my life of some people will say, oh, I'm like a Peter or I'm like a Paul or I'm like a, a David or or I'm like a Martha, or I'm like a Mary. And instead of being, no, I'm like Blair. I'm like Blair Rolance. I, I may have some similarities to some people in the Bible, yeah. and that's okay, but God created me as me. I am uniquely made in his image, and he finds that as good. I, as an individual, don't have to go and compare myself or seek myself out of, you know, like you can do these little quizzes of which Disney princess am I or which, you know, uh, which uh, person am I on this television show, like Friends, you know, the Friends television show, which person am I like on Friends? Um, I don't need to know that. Yeah. I can be me and that's okay. Yeah. And there are other people, well, you need to do this personality test or you need to try this personality the test. The Enneagram. So I can know what kind of person you are so I know what I'm dealing with. And that gives no room, no wiggle room for development. You're confined in a box and God doesn't confine us in a box right. at all because he wants us to continue to grow and we're going to mature. I am not the same Blair as a one-year-old that I am today as a 43-year-old. Right, right. I mean, I am still not breastfeeding. I am able to walk. I am able to talk. I mean, there's things that I can do now as a 43-year-old woman that I could not do as a one-year-old. Yeah. So... Spiritually speaking, we often put people in these kinds of boxes. When they first come to faith... Uh, in Jesus, we act as if they should act like we do already. Mm-hmm. Like, well, this is the way I am, and I've been a Christian for 25 years, so uh, you just came to faith in the Lord a year ago, then that means you should act like I am. That's a 25-year-old, and that's a great analogy that you gave with the one-year-old to the 43-year-old physically because the same is true spiritually. Mm-hmm. At first, when I first come to faith in Christ, I do need to nurture, and I do need to, to be at Jesus at all times in order to gain the nourishment that I uh, will need for my long life. However, at five years of faith in Christ, I don't still need to be suckling in order to get milk, as Paul says, but I should be eating of the meat at that point. And two sides of that, am I allowing those people around me who are new believers to grow in their faith properly? And secondly, am I as an older believer still growing in Christ or am I regressing? Am I going back to acting like a little infant in Christ? Those are very important questions for us to ask. And I think that's that's definitely here in this passage of scripture for us to recognize. Does Mary putting uh, the nard oil on Jesus' feet and cleaning his feet with her hair, does that mean that she's more valuable than other people? Is she the most 
most important woman in the room? Is she the MVP of the hour all of a sudden? You know, it's her offering to the Lord, just as Lazarus sitting there and being in the presence with our Lord and Savior, and just as important as Martha, yeah. um, you know, preparing of the meal and baking of her best. And that was her best. Those were, those were their offerings unto Christ Jesus. Yeah. And they were all three equally bringing their best to the Lord. Absolutely. And so this doesn't like all of a sudden give her or grant her admission into the club. Like, oh, she did that. So now she gets in. Remember back in chapter 11, Jesus said, if you'll believe in me, you will see even greater things. And, And he says that to Martha. He says it to Mary also in this capacity that they're showing their belief now. That, and he's saying, that's all I ask is for belief. And she's just doing this as extra, as an extra offering, not because he demanded it of her. And it's not that she's coming in and showing off either. Right. She didn't have a, a haughty attitude of walking in the most sexiest outfit and going, hey, Jesus, here's my hair. You know, like she wasn't, I don't think she was like that at all. I agree. It was very innocent and pure. I think it was very innocent and pure. Yeah. Uh, this was Mary's self-sacrificing act of worship. And so therefore, right back to that question that we've asked before, just a, a few minutes ago, is dedicating your life to Christ enough? Is serving him enough? Or are you still looking for something or someone greater than Jesus, who is the creator of heaven and earth? These are things that we have to ask ourselves. Am I satisfied in my salvation? Or do I need more money, more power, more uh, women, sex? I'm I'm a guy, so I'm going to say women. Or as a woman, do I need more men? Do I need somebody to lift me up so that that way I feel empowered? Do I need some kind of social movement that all of a sudden makes me feel like I am valuable and that I need to join this club so that that way we together will conquer the world? Like, is my salvation enough? And, and Mary, I think, answers that question today with saying, I have complete trust in Jesus no matter what anybody in this room thinks. Am I that strong in my faith? Am I that strong as a man of God or as a woman of God to say, it doesn't matter what the people on my left or on my right say. It doesn't matter what my neighbors think about me. I know that Jesus is enough for me. I know that he's enough. And that's what complete trust is. Not basing my trust in God on what other people think, but basing my trust in God in my personal relationship with him. The second thing that I notice in this passage of scripture is there's a division that's coming. And that is, enter another person, Judas Iscariot. And Judas comes in and it's not anybody that tells him, hey, Judas, Say something to Jesus about that, how, how expensive that nard is. Nobody says that. It's his decision to speak up. No one puts him to it. So just like Mary of her own decision came and anointed Jesus's feet with nard oil. And just as it was Mary's decision to, of her own decisions to take down her hair and to clean his feet is also Judas's own decision to say, whoa, hold on. Why are we wasting this money? The reason he is... Uh, financially concerned is only the tippy top of the reason for making a big, huge scene in this moment. His outburst is directly in the middle of Mary's act of worship as well. 
I think that's pretty significant for us because there's so many times that we'll be in a moment where we are so consumed with the moment of worship. I'm giving complete and total honor and adoration and worship to God, and there is a distraction, and that distraction keeps us from continuing in our heart of worship, but not Mary in this moment. Her heart isn't changed in this moment, even though Judas is blatantly disregarding her act of worship and making a scene, making an outburst, if you will. Do you notice what his outburst or his concern is for? He's concerned about the poor. Oh, the poor. It's an interesting excuse, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because it's one that people still use today. Absolutely. People today will show pictures of the disenfranchised, the disadvantaged, the sick, the hurting, the dying, the devastation that happened because of this earthquake or because uh, uh, this village all of a sudden had a drought and so therefore they're starving and they'll go in with their cameras and they'll take the pictures and then they go back to wealthier nations and they show all these pictures and they say look how horrible this is and give me your money i'm going to go give it to those people all the while all they're really doing is getting their little wiggly fingers into your offering of worship and they're saying i'll i'll help you worship god by giving to the poor and if you just give me all of your money They don't tell you that a certain percentage goes towards administrative costs so that that they can buy a new Learjet, a BMW, or a fancy mansion. They just tell you, if you give me your money, I'll give it to the poor. Yes, Mallory? Um, When I read Little Pilgrim's Progress, Mm -hmm. um, Christian, um, he thinks that it's okay because he meets this person and he's like, oh, that person uh, looks nice because he's wearing white the white outfit of what a nice person what a pilgrim looks like but his face doesn't look nice but I think he's a pilgrim so I'm gonna follow him and he says his name is the flatterer because he um, tricks people into following him and then they die yeah and so he was like hey I know the way to the celestial city which is where God is Mm -hmm. and so he's like okay so I'm gonna go follow him and then he brings his friend along, and his friend was like not thinking at all because he's like, "Oh yeah, this guy looks so trustworthy." And then whenever they get on the path, they're like, "Wait a minute, we've been on this path before. Wait, you're the flatterer. Let's go and leave." And then he traps them in his net, and one of the angel comes because God sent them, and he said, "Here, I'll help you out of it, but I'm still gonna have to punish you because you sinned." Mm. There's justice in this situation, right? God's justice and his judgment still affects Pilgrim and his friend. Christian and hopeful. Sorry, Christian and hopeful. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Great example, Mallory. Jesus cuts to the chase in verse 8, and he says, the poor you'll always have with you. Like, his, Judas's care or concern is for the poor, quote unquote, and yet Jesus is like, hey, you're always going to have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. My, my question to us then today is, first of all, do I help the poor? Like, I'm not talking about do I help the poor because when I'm driving and all of a sudden I see somebody standing at the stoplight, I hand them a couple of rupees. But do I actually do something in order to help the poor? Helping the poor is an act of worship. Not just, like I said, not just sending them money, uh, which virtually can be looked at as paying them to leave you alone. 
not creating a, um, a job market so that that way more people will come out and beg other people for money because that they can uh, make a living or make an earning off of this. But actual, real, sacrificial help. Are you helping the poor? Matthew 6, 1 through 4, Jesus speaks to this of helping the poor. Blair, will you read that for us? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. This is so valuable uh, of a passage of scripture to us, especially in the call of helping the poor, giving to the poor, and not taking for ourselves. Uh, which gives me another question of, am I out to manipulate money or goods out of people just like Judas? Is Judas a disciple? Yes. Yeah. Is he close to Jesus so that that way he hears every one of Jesus's teachings? Yes. Mm -hmm. Does he, is he given an important job among the other disciples? Yes. Is he a liar, a cheater, and a thief? Yes. He can be. <laughs> so three of those things show that he's in the faith. As Mallory said, he's dressed just like everybody else on their way to the celestial city. But then this one thing, he's a cheater, a liar, a thief, a stealer, a traitor. That kind of disqualifies him, doesn't it? We got to ask ourselves, do I say the right words and act the right way in order to manipulate a certain type of people so that that way it looks like I am a part of their club? Am I only a Christian because of the connections that it gets me? Am I only a Christian because it gets me a better paycheck than if I wasn't a Christian? Am I, like Judas, a part of the church, but really a deceptive snake? These are questions we've got to ask ourselves because we can so easily fall into a, a, a specific trap of manipulating other people for our own gain. When the whole time God is just saying, love me, I'll take care of all of your needs. And I've run across people that call themselves Christians before that say, oh, it's okay to just take a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there because, you know, you're, you're not getting paid enough or you need a little bit of incentive to do your job or whatever. No, that's, that's a Judas-like spirit, in my opinion. Second part of the division is, is that there's no gift and there's no sacrifice on Judas's part. He doesn't give any oil. He doesn't use his hair. No, instead, Judas takes and he's blessed. But Jesus calls us to give and to be blessed. Mallory has a passage of scripture for us from Acts chapter 20. It's found in verse 35. I have showed you all things how that your laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So these are words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But Judas, like people today, wants more earthly treasure. 
He's not satisfied with having the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords walk with him every single day. So we've got to remember that not everyone in church, not everyone who is a Christian is necessarily a believer. Is your theology okay? Does it accept the fact that all will hear, but not all will believe? I've heard preachers say, well, if you preach the gospel, all will believe. And they really believe that. But are you okay with the fact that that's not always true? Judas is in the midst of Jesus and his disciples, and he's not a believer. He looks like a believer in every aspect of the way. And so is my theology okay? Do I accept the fact that not all who hear are actual believers? It's fine if your friend isn't a Christian because then if they, then you could probably teach them about Christ. But if they don't actually want to become a Christian, you can still be friends with them. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as it's not wavering into our faith, so to say. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, we are to avoid the very appearance of evil. We are to be cautious of those that we are not like-minded with. Right. But sometimes even like unlike-mindedness spurs us into our faith. Stronger faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We do have an understanding that there's going to be people in and out of our lives and we cooperate, we work, we do things with each other so that that way we can continue to show the love of Christ in a way that as we were just talking a little bit ago, just a couple minutes ago about this whole idea of when I'm gifting others, sometimes I'm gifting to somebody that's not necessarily even a Christian. And yet it's like, it's as if I'm giving unto the Lord. It's as if I'm giving a sacrifice or an offering unto the Lord, even if this person is not a believer or a Christian. And there's some teachings that are going around these days that talk about, no, you can only, as a Christian, be friends with Christians. No, you can only give gifts uh, as a Christian to those who are Christians. And only will they be able to become a Christian, uh, you know, then you can give gifts to them. That's all nonsense. There is no teaching about that in the Bible whatsoever. That is complete false teaching. That's complete false prophecy. That That's garbage. If you've heard that before, put it out of your mind. Don't allow people to influence you in that regard because it's not, it's simply not true. Jesus didn't say, get cleaned up and then become a Christian. Jesus said, believe on me and you will be saved period. There was no rules, no regulations, no orders, no rituals. None of that stuff makes you a Christian. That doesn't, in fact, most of those things don't make you a Christian. As Jesus, Xavier was saying earlier, Jesus says to obey is better than sacrifice. And it's important for us to recognize these facts when it comes to accepting the fact that yes, there are going to be people in the church that will not believe. Third, Jesus accepted Mary's worship. So first of all, we have Mary putting her complete trust in God. We have a divider, somebody being divisive named Judas, who's coming and trying to destroy this act of worship. And then third, we have Jesus putting down the final authority and saying, here's what Mary's doing. She is preparing my body for burial. So in these moments like this, I have to ask myself, why do I worship God? Is worship of God flowing out of my life? Why do I worship God? Why do you worship God? I worship God because he loves me. Yeah, that's a great, great response. That's true. I do because I need him. Like I, I know he's everything for me, like my friend, my father, and he loves me a lot. I know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jesus is one of the only gods that 
really gives us a chance. He's the one who gives us this eternal life because he died. And that's really the reason why I worship him. It's because he loved me so much that he died, which is top fear of all mankind. Death, the fear of death. And yet he also came back to life. Absolutely. Great reasons to worship. I I worship him because he's always been consistent in my life. He's always been there for me. I had such a troubled childhood. I had such a troubled youth. Um, I had inconsistencies within my own family, within my own parents, but he never failed me. He never gave up on me. He was always there for me. Jesus was always right there for me. And in the most difficult time that I've ever faced in my life, he was right there. And he he didn't speak with to me in an audible voice like I'm speaking today, but he spoke from the inner depths of my soul so there could be no mistaking that it was anybody else but God himself speaking to me. And that's why I worship him. Because he is my creator and my king. A few more questions. Is worship only found in singing? No. Is worship a ritual? No. No. Is my life an act of complete surrender and worship? Supposed to be. Prayerfully. Prayerfully it is. Am I caring for the poor? Am I caring for the widows? Am I not bowing down before idols? Am I obedient to Christ? That is a life of worship. He puts everything together, vindicating Mary and placing Judas back in his place. And he is the one that does that. We aren't the one that that brings vengeance. We aren't the ones that then go and put people in their place. We allow God to do that. And so there's a few passages of scripture I'd like to read. Micah 5, 15, followed by Isaiah 59, 14 through 18, and completed with Romans chapter 12, verse 19. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. In Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Putting others in their place is God's work. It's not mine. Worship of Christ is done with gifts. I can worship Christ with language, with speech. I can worship him with art. I can worship God in science. I can worship him in hard labor, as you can obviously hear going on above us. And I can worship Christ by caring for the widows and for the poor. Are there other ways that we can worship God? Yeah, sometimes it's through our poetry. Sometimes it's through our writings. Yeah, the arts. Sometimes it's just even through verbal conversations with others. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, sometimes we look at conversation as uh, two twofold. We either look at it as like if we're a person that is a very few words, we look at conversation and we go, oh, I hate it when I have to talk to people. But sometimes that's an act of worship. Right. And the other way we look at it is, man, I love to talk to people, but the only thing we talk about is ourselves. And yet that can be an act of worship. Not talking about ourselves, but talking about Jesus with others can be an act of worship. Absolutely. I remember when thank you a few days back, somebody asked me, oh, what time you do worship like to your God? I say, anytime, like when I did not get the calls in the office, I do worship. Like I just pray (laughs) on my free time. So he said, oh, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Jesus looks to our heart and he accepts true worship. That's the final word. It's exactly what he does. We sometimes think that we have to do all these things in order to get someone to pay attention to us. And so therefore, that's obviously the way God is. But it's not. It's not the way God is. It's, it's what we've allowed mankind to manipulate us into thinking the way God is. God is everywhere present. He's watching us. He's active in our lives in every moment of everything that we ever do. And so in all those moments, we have the beautiful opportunity to give him worship like Mary did. Not the same way. We don't do the same methodology. We don't go and buy the most expensive perfume that we can find in the market. And believe me, when we were in Dubai and I saw some of the expenses of some of those perfumes they have there i mean we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars or yeah, even but just rupees to think, though, that that fragrance came right here from india it does nard comes from here yeah and nard comes from india which just goes to show us especially those who have this trouble with thinking that christianity is a western religion nard comes from india Therefore, the nard that was placed at Jesus' feet shows just how true the gospel message is to those of us right here in India. Lord, may I be a person who looks to you with complete love. May my life be a pleasing act of worship, forsaking and surrendering my wealth and my glory and total worship. May I guard my jealousy and anger for those who attack and place total trust in you, the one who will bring justice and righteousness into your kingdom. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day, and that we will always be happy and that everybody will not be tempted by anything and follow the way of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.